Well, this the title of the message this morning is Grace in the Life of a Believer. We, I think it was December 13th, uh, we had a message on what is grace. And we kind of discovered in that message that grace is the ability and the privilege that God gives us to come to know him. He offers it to all mankind and he offers us that grace and then gives us the strength through that grace to come to reach out and do what he what he's calling us to. But grace is much more than just winning us to him. It also empowers us to live for him. That's what we'd like to look at this morning. What is grace? How does grace, what does it look like in the life of the believer? So we realize that grace is the only way that a vile sinner can come to a holy God. There's such a chasm between humanity and who God is. Grace is the only thing that can bridge that. But there's also no way that humanity can be good enough for a holy God. Once again, that's where grace comes in. So what does grace look like in your life and my life today? <clears throat> what is grace doing for you and me now? 1 Corinthians 15.10 is a very familiar verse about grace. And I would like to use it as our text verse. And it has, the verse is basically made up of four points. And I'd like to use that for an outline. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says, first point, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Second point, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Third point, but I labored more abundantly than they all. And the fourth point, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So we're going to use that verse as an outline for the message this morning. So the first point, but by the, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'd like to look at Paul's life. He's the one that wrote the verse. I'd like to look at his life to see why he said what he did. I want to start by turning to Acts 9. <clears throat> this is the story of Paul's conversion. Let's turn to Acts 9. And I want to read the first nine verses there. <clears throat> In this passage, we see a startling. And when, you, when you really put yourself in this, in that, in this scenario, is what happened here. It was a startling um, demonstration of grace. Let's read these first nine verses. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to, pit, to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said, 
unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. So here we have a young man, Saul, full of vigor. I mean, he was on fire for what he was on fire for. He thought he was on fire for God. He was defending the Old Testament faith. He was in direct opposition to the work of Jesus Christ. But God saw into Paul and to Saul, he was Saul at this point, God saw what Saul could be for him. And he gave us a perfect demonstration of grace. He reached down and drew Saul to himself. Now, I don't know what, I don't know if God just knew that, this is, that that light and being blind and all that went with it was what it was going to take to turn Saul to himself. But for some reason, God decided to use a very powerful demonstration of grace to turn Saul. Now, I want to ask a question. Could Saul have rejected that grace at that point? Could, could Saul have rejected what God was trying to do in his life? And I believe he could have. He had the opportunity. He had the right. He was a human. He could make choices. He could have said, nope, not doing it, not submitting But I believe if he had done that, he would have never regained his sight. And there's a little bit of a spiritual application there. If we reject God's grace, when God reaches into our life and says, right here's something that I want you to give to me, and we reject that, I think we run the risk of creating a blindness in our heart in that spot. The other thing we can see in this passage is that God extends grace to, to us individually. I know, and we heard this at, at conference, we are a corporate body of believers that God speaks through and to and cares about us corporately as a body. But grace is extended individually. Now, I'm not sure how many men were with Saul when this happened, but it was evidently a group. And they all saw what happened. But only Saul received that grace in that moment. This was a specific call from God to Saul. And God calls each of us individually through grace. Now, very few people experience a startling demonstration of grace quite like Paul did. But I want to think about what God has done through his grace in our lives. Can we say with Paul that it is by God's grace that I am who I am? Or maybe you feel like you haven't really experienced grace in your life. And maybe you feel like you're pretty much a self-made person. And you've become who you are by hard work and determination. Now, the Christian life does take hard work and determination. That's a, that's a fact. 
But if you don't believe that grace has impacted your life, I'd like to prove to you that it has. It's been said that if you don't think God has done anything in your life, just think of the, the sin that you're most often tempted to do, the thing that tempts you the most, and think where that could possibly take you if you followed it. That's where you would be without grace because God has enabled you to resist that sin. That's grace working in your life. God's enabling power. How many of you have something in your life that has dragged you down spiritually in the past and would drag you down today if you allowed it to? Relationship issues. We talked about attitudes this morning in class. Bitterness, fleshly desires, selfish ambitions, pride. And most of those have affected me at some point or another in my life. Maybe it's something that the Bible doesn't specifically say is wrong, but if you allow it into your life, it will pull you away from God. And I think of music or books, things we consume, that aren't necessarily in and of themselves wrong, but they have a negative effect on our spiritual life. If you overcome something like this in your life, through the power of God, you have tapped into the power of grace. <clears throat> now another attribute of grace that we haven't talked much about, but if you would talk about... Um, a very, a woman in your life that you really look up to. I'm thinking especially of you ladies. Typically you would think of them as being full of grace. Um, grace is a, is a beauty that comes from within or a charm. A charm isn't really a good word, but a beauty that shows up in her character. John 1.14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That grace or beauty of character flowed out of Jesus. And it drew people to Himself. And I believe this is something completely different than a person with an outgoing personality that just has a natural magnetism to draw some people to themselves. That's not what grace is. It's not what the, well, I don't think that's what Jesus was like. I think this grace comes from spending time in the presence of the Father. The beauty of who God is coming out of us. It's God's presence within you making you beautiful, changing you inside out. It doesn't matter what someone looks like on the outside when grace is coming out from the inside. And as I've come to know you as a congregation better over the last several years, I've seen this attribute. That change of character that comes from walking with God. The warmth of genuine godly love. That's grace. That's grace changing you. And we see a very clear demonstration of this kind of grace in Paul's life. If you compare the young man we just read about in Acts 
9, verse 1, he was described as breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples, against the church as a whole. If you compare that Saul to the, to the Saul of First Corinthians, when he wrote the letter to the First Corinthians, the second chapter of First Corinthians, he described himself as being with them in weakness, fear, and trembling. Now you see grace at work. From a fireball to a personally inept, unable person without God's grace. That's God's grace changing a person. And he's done it in your life. He's doing it in your life. Sometimes it's hard for us to see that. But it's there if we allow it to be. Paul's conversion was a very clear demonstration of grace in his life. And he had reason <clears throat> to say by the grace of God, <clears throat> excuse me, I am what I am. What about us? Most of us have not had that Damascus Road experience. I've never been blinded by a light. <clears throat> but all of us as believers have experienced grace in our lives. The second point of the message, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. So all of us have experienced grace. First of all, drawing us to God and then working in our lives to change who we are. <clears throat> Paul said, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. What did Paul mean by that? How did he know grace was not in vain in his life? And also, how can we know that for our own lives? Let's turn to Ephesians 4. And I want to read uh, verse 7, and then we'll jump to verse 11. Now, ver Ephesians 4, verse 7 was actually in our Sunday school lesson this morning. And maybe you all got to it and discussed it. I don't think we quite got that far in our Sunday school lesson. But um, we'll read verse, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 7, and then I'll jump to, to verse 11. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, what is that gift? Let's, ver let's jump to verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists some, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a lot more gifts that we could put in that passage. That is a very general umbrella of the gifts given to us. But in this passage, we see that each of us is given a gift for ministry. Some kind of ministry that you are called to do. And maybe your ministry that you feel called to do is not listed here, but it doesn't matter. As a child of God... You are called to minister and are given the enabling power from God that you need to fill that ministry. Now, you may be asking, well, how do I know what my ministry is? Or maybe even the gift that I've been given. Well, I don't know how to answer that question in every situation. I can't look at you and tell you what your gift is necessarily. Some people it's obvious, some people it's not. 
But I do know that the body of Christ can discern gifts in you that you cannot discern in yourself. The body of Christ discerned that Brother Kevin had the gift of ministry. I don't think he was all that sure of that himself to begin with. But as we look at his life, he'll make a tremendous minister. So discerning your own gift that God has given you through grace, sometimes we can't see it of ourselves. But if you want to know what your gift is, be willing. Be a willing worker. And most likely your gift will become evident. You know, I heard a story about a, uh, I think he was a pastor in the mission field. He was a native that had been um, ordained, I believe. And, and uh, well, maybe eventually he became a pastor. I forget how that was. But he, somebody asked him to lead songs. You know, they found out real quick that wasn't his gift. That's okay. The church has earned that. He was willing and he tried. He, was, he said, yes, I'll do it. But it wasn't his gift. But remember, when God calls you to something, when God gives you a ministry that seems too big for you, God doesn't give you more than his grace can handle. Sometimes it feels like we can't do what God's asking us to do. But that's where grace comes in. And not feeling like you're in, unable on your own is essential for you to understand grace and its workings in your life. That's how we learn to depend on grace. It's when we cannot do it ourselves. And I think of the elder, those that, among us that are care for, um, do elderly care. You mothers that are getting up all hours of the night with children. On and on. There are things we cannot do effectively on our own. It is only by God's grace. Ephesians 4, 7 again, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We can only do what God calls us to by that grace. We are given the enabling power through God's grace to use the gift He's given us. And if we are only doing what we could do on our own strength and intelligence, we are not tapping into God's grace. It is only by His grace that we can go beyond what we can do personally. A brother asked me, I'm sorry, a brother asked God for love for the very unlovely people or young men he was trying to teach. And God gave them. That's grace. You can't just manufacture love in your heart for someone. Especially when that someone causes you great distress intentionally. It's only through grace that we can do that. Point number three. But I labor more abundantly than they are. Now wait a minute. We've been talking about grace. I thought we were saved by grace and not by works. Why is Paul saying... Why is he laboring more than anyone else? Wasn't he saved? And didn't he write Romans 11, 5, and 6? 
which say, Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is no more of works. Otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise work is no more works. So if we take this one little slice of scripture, grace covers it all, right? We don't need to work. So why is Paul working so hard? He says he labored more abundantly than they all. And what he's actually saying, if you read the context, is that he worked more than any of the other apostles. Why? Why would he do that if grace just covers it all? If we don't need to work. Philippians 2.12 Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. St. Paul that wrote the verses before about grace wrote these verses here. This verse here. Work out your own salvation by fear and trembling. It seems like there's a Paul's writing out of both sides of his mouth if you, if you take individual slices of Scripture. Another way of saying what I just read, this work out your salvation with fear and trembling, is maintain your salvation with fear and trembling. How do we reconcile grace in works and how is that fleshed out in the life of the believer? The verse we just read starts with the word wherefore. So I think we should go back and see why it, why it is where it is and what it's there for. Let's turn to Philippians 2, verses 5 to 13. <clears throat> Philippians 2, I'd like to read verses 5 to 13. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of his servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we have Jesus, Paul's presenting Jesus here. Jesus was present at creation, became a man himself, but he came to earth as a servant. He spent his life here on earth serving others. Jesus worked. Did Jesus work to earn his salvation? He didn't. He worked to earn ours. And if you don't think it was work for Jesus to go through what he did here on earth, I want you to think with me for a little bit. First off, remember Gethsemane and what he did there. At Gethsemane, I think the, the stress 
physically, physical stress was beyond anything we can imagine. You know, I've sweated so much in a day that I've almost drained a two-gallon jug of water, but I've never sweated drops of blood. Our salvation took work, hard work, sleepless nights, alone in prayer. Jesus often went to the mountain and spent the whole night in prayer. Miles and miles of dusty roads, dealing with angry religious leaders, selfish disciples, and needy, hungry crowds. Crowds gave him very little time for rest. Jesus worked to bring us the free gift of salvation. It is a free gift. We can never earn it. But if we accept that gift, with that gift comes the responsibility to serve others and God just like Jesus did. That is work. And by the way, this is one of the best ways there is to figure out what your ministry is. Serve others. Your ministry and your gift will surface. Just be Jesus to the world around you to the best of your ability. And your abilities, what God has given you, will show forth, will show up. Just do what he shows you needs to be done. And remember... The greatest gift of all, if you don't know of any other gift that you have, the greatest gift of all is love. Selfless love, agape love for others. That's a true mark of a believer, and we all should carry that gift. So we have grace and we have work. Grace brought us to God, but it requires work to draw others to God. And that is our call in life. Point number four, yet not I, but grace, but the grace of God which was with me. In this statement, Paul says that what was accomplished for the kingdom of God in his life was done only by God's enabling power. Just like Paul, we can only be who God wants us to be by his grace. Does it take work on our part? Yes, a lot of work. But as we learn to depend more and more on God's enabling power instead of our own effort, we can move ahead in our faith spiritually, doing harder things for God, doing things that, you know, we can't do on our own. I know some of you come from churches that are much different than this one. And I imagine the first day that you walked in this church, you'd have thought, well, I couldn't get up front. I couldn't do this. I couldn't lead singing or I couldn't have a devotional. But you're doing it now. It's God's grace at work in your life. We're here to draw others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. phenomenon of grace in Paul's life is just as evident in your life. Sometimes we don't see it, but it's there, making you who you are in Christ. That same phenomenon of grace happens today in the life of the believer if we allow it. You and I are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, but we can only fulfill that call 
by the power of God, his grace, enabling us to do that. Let's have a song.